that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards other outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Amen. Thanks so much, Andrew. Well, good evening again, and uh, welcome to those of you online as well who have joined with us this evening. Um, we are, of course, um, continuing in our series, and uh, this is the last of the six M's tonight um, that we are covering in Fruitfulness on the Front Line. So to date, we've looked at several different ways we should be living which should demonstrate the transformation which has actually occurred in our life, the difference that has happened as a result of us giving our lives to Jesus and allowing him to control us. And so as we move through the series, we, we heard about the other M's, and the other M's were to model godly character, to make good work, to minister grace and love, to mould culture, and to be a mouthpiece of truth and justice, which was last week. And hopefully we have been living out these different M's without actually knowing it each and every day. These should be things that uh, come naturally to us. But the reality is, I think it would be foolish for us um, to think that doing these things, doing this good work is enough to bring people into the kingdom. Uh, those on our front lines, the people we encounter each and every day, need to hear it was Jesus that has made the difference in our lives. It was Jesus who makes us do these things. He doesn't make us, but it's, it's, it's because of what he did that calls us to do such things, and we willingly do so. And it is he alone who has made an eternal difference in our lives. God's desire always has been, always will be, that people come to know him personally, that they'll accept accept his sacrifice for them and ask him to be their Lord and Saviour. And in the midst of all of this, we need to hold to the truth of Scripture. And again, we have the Great Commission in Matthew 18, which tells us, sorry, Matthew 28, which tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And we also have many passages like this one in Romans 10:14, which says, How then will they call on him they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And I believe even in our day and age, there are people who are Christians who make excuses as to why they don't have to declare or proclaim the very name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this whole series has been based on smashing those incorrect beliefs. And, being, and this whole belief about bringing people to church instead of being responsible for yourself. There's people who believe that in bringing someone to church, it expunges their call upon them to proclaim the gospel message. But nothing could be further from the truth. There's also this belief that all I have to do is live my Christian life before others. And I may be showing my age, but there was certainly uh, a quote 
that was going around which was quite prevalent. And I checked this with a few young people and they say there's still people who believe this. But this quote was going around quite a bit when I was a lot younger. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. And this has always been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, He was the founder of the Franciscan order. And it's intended that the proclamation of the gospel by how we live is more important and more valuable than actually speaking the gospel message. Apart from the fact that that's very counter to scripture, there's another big issue. Francis never actually said this, not even close. It doesn't show up in any of his writings, and as I say, it's not even close. The closest that comes is rule number 1221 of chapter 12 on how the Franciscans should practice their preaching. And this is the closest to that quote. What Francis is actually saying here is what is said in Scripture. Make sure that what you do, your your actions match your words. And this is so counter to that saying attributed to Francis, that preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. And as I've shared with some people, this is a bit like saying, go and feed the hungry and if necessary, use food. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. And we should realise that we have to be proclaiming the gospel message. We have to be talking about it. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at being a messenger of the gospel. That's the sixth M. Let's pause and pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you you're here right now. And Lord, I just pray for a softening of hearts again towards the things of you. I pray that people will hear your voice, Lord, that they'll respond to that voice and that they'll be challenged uh, with this message this evening and have a desire to tell others about you. Father, this is for your glory. So allow it to happen, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I can tell you with great accuracy, um, without any concerns about how how accurate I'm about to say uh, is, Uh, because I'm married to my wife, Elena, who is a dentist, and uh, she's always or regularly tells me how encouraging it is, especially on the first day of the week, when the very first patient she sees comes in and the greeting is something along the lines of, I hate dentists. First words out of their mouth. And I think there is a number of people who would be able to say exactly that. They hate dentists. And I'm sure that there's many Christians who would prefer to visit a dentist rather than talk about Jesus. I wonder why that is. We hold this greatest story that has ever been told. And as we said earlier, we are that city on a hill. We have this message that cannot be denied. And we should have this passion and desire to proclaim this message which keeps people from going to hell, which provides for them a life with Christ in all of eternity if they would only accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We've been entrusted with that knowledge. Why wouldn't we tell people about it? And it's my belief that most of us who don't want to tell people about that are operating from a position of fear. 
fear of rejection, fear of offending, fear of being ridiculed, fear of messing up the message that they've been given to proclaim, fear of failure. Whatever it is, it stems from this false view of what we're called to do, a false belief of the expectations placed upon us as believers. God doesn't gift each and every one of us as evangelists. I wish I was an evangelist, but we're not gifted in that way. Not all of us anyway. But he does call each and every one of us to honour Christ the Lord as holy, to always be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that we have. And to do so with gentleness and respect. Our everyday frontline evangelism is about obedience. It is us expressing a willingness to respond to the promptings of Holy Spirit, to come alongside those who He is already working in. It is about us acknowledging that God wants all people to be saved. Do you believe that? And that that saving work is actually done by God. It is a work of God. There's nothing I can do to save people. But God has chosen me and he's chosen you for his purposes in drawing others to himself. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be ready and willing to tell others about why we believe. I want you to think about why you came to faith or how you came to faith. Were there people around you who influenced you towards God? I think for most of us, we'd have to say yes. And the thing is, God is calling you to be that person for another. To your friends, to your family, to your colleagues, to your neighbours, wherever your front line is, that's where God's calling you to have that impact. It's his work. But he wants you to be part of it. He wants me to be part of it. And he prepares the hearts that you are going to speak into. Remember, God has chosen you. And it's no coincidence that you are on the front line that you are on. You are there. And God is with you in the midst of that. And with him, you have time to make it all come together. And let's look at an outline that I believe is contained in the passage that we had read to us this evening. And I think first and foremost, when we're looking at reaching others for Jesus, we should pray steadfastly. When we're called to be steadfast, it's this call to be firmly fixed in place, to be immovable, to be unwavering or to perform something strongly without stopping. And Paul calls us to that. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And this is the ASV way that says continue steadfastly. The NIV, if you remember, says to devote yourselves to prayer. And this is a call to an unrelenting persistence in prayer. Those hearing this or reading it at the time would remember the account of Jacob back in Genesis 32, where he wrestled with God all night. It was this persistence that we are called to, the same type of persistence that Jacob had. And so we're to pray with this tenacity, we're to hang on and not let go. We are not to relent until we see God move. And while we are praying, we're to be watchful. 
Some say that this is to be ready for Christ's return and that may well be the case because if we are to be ready for Christ's return, if that's what we're to be watchful about, wouldn't that motivate us more to reach others for Jesus, those who will not be in eternity with him at this stage? But I think it's more likely a warning about us falling into temptation uh, when we look at the same terms that are used throughout Scripture, we have the account of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says to them, stay here and keep watch. And a little bit later on, he says, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. It is that same sort of term which is used here. And so we are to be watchful so we don't fall into temptation. What are the temptations which we could face when we're proclaiming the gospel? There's a number of things which are general type temptations. But I think some of the things when it comes to proclaiming in the gospel, we have this little voice that tells us it's too hard. It's too hard. Then we have that voice that says, this person that God has placed on your heart, they've hardened their hearts against him. There is no way that they will receive the message of the Lord. I don't have the words to say. I'm not gifted like our pastors. And I just don't speak like them. I don't know what I would say. And all of these and many others can prevent us from being obedient to the Lord and praying for the courage to speak his truth into their lives. And Paul says... At the same time, pray also for us. Pray that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And we need to remember that Paul is in prison when he is actually saying that. He could have asked people to pray for his release so he had a better opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the rest of the world. And certainly he sees that as a great opportunity. But he is happy to be in his present circumstances because he doesn't see that as being somewhere where he cannot proclaim the gospel. He could have fa- he, he, his prayers are not for personal advantage. His prayers reflect his focus on the mission at hand. And what was his mission? His mission is the same as every other believer, which we got back in Colossians 1.25. He became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him to make the word of God fully known. Fully known. It didn't matter where he was, what he was doing. He wanted God's word to be fully known. And that is what he asked for for prayer for that God will open the door for the word to be proclaimed Paul's in prison and he sees that God is providing him constantly with opportunities to tell others about Jesus even in prison for those of you who know the account Paul declares that the whole palace guard now knows that he's in prison because of his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ And his prayer in Philippians is that they will become even more courageous, even more fearless in proclaiming the word of God. Isn't that how we should pray for ourselves? Isn't that how we should pray for each other? Isn't that how we should gather people around us to pray for us? And are we praying for our Christian brothers and sisters in a like manner? Praying that God will give them the courage to proclaim the word of God and that God will continually open doors for the opportunity to declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And more than that, 
pray that the message that you give and the message that others give is a clear message, just like Paul says, which is how I ought to speak. This is a prayer that people will not misunderstand what is being said, will not misinterpret the gospel message, that the message is clear to all. This doesn't mean that everyone present will actually accept that message. Everyone has to make a decision for themselves. So be prepared that people will reject the message of God, even when they're confronted with it, even when they know that they've got to make a decision one way or the other. But it is a call to tell others the message of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that they will understand. And I want you to realize, I want you to appreciate, I want you to value the most incredible story you can tell is the testimony of your life. What Jesus has done for you. And that doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for an hour or if you've been a Christian for a hundred years. You have a powerful message to tell. It doesn't matter if you were brought up in the church and you don't know when you first gave your life to Christ or whether you were in an occult and taking drugs and doing whatever else and you came to Christ. You were dead and once you were alive. That's our story. Each and every one of us were dead. And we are now alive in Christ. That is an incredible thing. And there's a transformation for each and every one of us. Everything changes, everything shifts, shifts, and our dependence becomes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that we're going to be in eternity with him. And that is the story that we have to tell. We have this hope in eternity. We need to declare to those around us the difference that the Lord Jesus has made in our life. And this is partially covered in the next point. We need to act wisely. This is a call for how each of us act towards outsiders, those who are yet to come to faith. When we think about the Christians who Paul is addressing, they were living in a hostile environment, facing persecution and imprisonment on many fronts. And yet, they were not hostile or resentful towards their neighbours and Paul says, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Our life in Christ should shift our thinking. We are not the outsiders. We are part of the kingdom that has no end. We worship a king who will be ever enthroned. He will never be shifted. It is those who do not know him, those who are on the outside, those who aren't part of the kingdom, who are the true outsiders. We are the insiders. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We experience the fullness of Christ. And he is the head over every power and authority, as Paul says in Colossians 2.10. So if he is the head over every power and authority, what have we got to fear? He holds our eternity in his hands. He will never allow that to slip. Our desire should be to seek every opportunity to reach unbelievers. And this is a call that Paul places on all of the Colossians. It isn't just for the leaders. It isn't just for the pastors. It isn't just for the evangelists. It isn't just for the apostles. It is for everyone who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior. The common, everyday Christians like you and me. 
For many of us, this is going to be a huge call to shift our thinking. We need to not just say, but we need to believe that God loves the world, that God loves the people on your front line, that God has placed you there for such a time as this. I want each of you to pause. And I want you to close your eyes if that's what you need to do to focus. No one's going to be watching you. I'm not even going to watch you. But I just want you to think about your front line. I want you to think about a particular person on that front line. It could be a workmate. It could be a uni friend or colleague. It could be a work colleague. It could be a relative. It is a person that you would love to see come to faith. And I want you to think about John 3, 16 and 17. I've put it up on the screens if you'd like to look at it because I want you to place your friend's name in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved Bob, that he gave his only son, that if Bob believes in him, he should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to to condemn Bob, but in order that Bob might be saved through him. Do you believe that? Because that's the truth of John 3, 16 and 17. God's desire is that not one be lost. We've got the stories in Scripture about the 99 sheep and the one that wandered off, and we're told that they went to find that one. I believe God has a desire for that one. I believe he wants to pursue that one. That's your friend on the front line. That's the person God wants to reach. He loves them. Do you believe that? It's a truth of Scripture. You've just personalized this, I hope. I really do hope you did that for that person. Would you pray that over them? Because God loves that person that you've been thinking of. God's desire is that they will be saved. God's desire is that they'll be with him in eternity. And God has this desire that you'll be asking him each and every day to include him in your everyday. That you will ask God for you to be wise in your interactions and your time with that person. So when the opportunity arises, you will recognize it and you will step into it and you will say what God gives you to say and only what God gives you to say say nothing more and that over a period of time they will be drawn closer and closer to God and I've had people tell me again and again and again as they've sought God's opportunity in their workplaces and they've spoken his name where people know that they're Christians that they've seen the most amazing things happen with the last person they believed would be transformed we worship an amazing God And if you think that there's people in your workplace who are terrible people, think about the dude who wrote this. He was persecuting Christians. He was dragging them out of their homes. He was throwing them in prison. He was having them beaten. And I have no doubt some were put to death. And God transformed him. And we wouldn't have the scriptures if God hadn't done that great and mighty work. Are we willing to pray in faith and then wait for God's perfect timing and make the most of that time when God presents it? I really hope so. I hope we're willing to do that. 
I believe there's one more thing that we can get from tonight's passage. And that's not acting wisely. I've missed one, sorry. The third point is to speak graciously. So that should be speak graciously. And we're called to speak graciously. And when, when we call to speak graciously, this is a call to be civil, polite, gentle, inoffensive. It's using speech which draws people and builds rapport with them. But we see that Paul gives three characteristics of gracious, gracious speech in verse 6 here. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so the first is to speak graciously. We should do this in order to overcome any misgivings of those that we're speaking to. We're not saying what we do... Um, Sorry, we're not doing this to win an argument or to win a debate or anything like that. It really is offensive when people do that. But we're to speak graciously because their eternal future is at stake. We desire for them to be safe. So we speak in a way that makes them more receptive to the message that we're providing. We want them to come back and ask more and more questions about what we're talking about. And we're also told to season it with salt. And that's a salt that draws. It's a salt that makes them want to come more. It's that taste, isn't it? And this is about speaking in a manner which is attractive. It's not boring, uh, but amusing, witting, clever, uh, and amusing, as I said. It's that taste of a life that others should desire. Our speech should express the joy, the comfort, the hope, the peace that we have found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, that can never be boring because my life is complete first and foremost when I gave my life to him. Nothing else can satisfy. And finally, Paul tells us to be prepared. We should know how to answer each person. And this points back to what he said earlier, uh, in what I read earlier, sorry, in 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts on a Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Part of that preparation is living in a way that demonstrates or proves what we confess. And for all of that to happen, we need to be grounded in the faith, as Paul told us back in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, where he speaks about the day that he heard about the Colossians and how he didn't cease to pray for them, asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So where does that leave us? Uh, I want you to really think about something that I said a bit earlier. Do you believe that God wants to save all people? Do you believe that this saving work is achieved by God alone. And do you believe he uses simple people like you and me as those instruments in drawing men and women to himself? Are you ready? Are you ready to tell others about what Jesus has done for you and how he can do the same thing for them? 
in what we've looked at again tonight and what we've heard many times proclaimed in this church it's clear that our godly walk goes hand in hand with our godly talk you can't have one without the other our call is to live in our faith before others in the everyday public places of our lives on our front lines we need to believe that those who do not know Jesus are the ones who are the outsiders it is they who are missing out on the greatest encounter they could ever possibly have on this earth and my friends it is us who has the answer for them it is us that hold the hope for them in our very hands our lives as believers should be such that God's message of salvation is not only lived out by us, but it is declared vocally, boldly, and unashamedly. And God is looking for men and women who are willing to take up this challenge, who are willing to be grounded in the faith through establishing his word in their lives and for them to pray constantly for the lost, to act wisely before all men, and to speak graciously to them. Christianity is not about doing things right when people are watching. It's about constantly doing things in a Christian way, with a Christian mindset, living before others, and being salt and light in a world that so desperately needs it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, that it transforms lives. It's transformed my lives. And Lord, there's many here, many at home, who can testify to the fact that you have changed them and changed them for good. But Lord, I pray by power of Holy Spirit, you'll be doing a work amongst us. The people will sense the challenge to be proclaiming your name on their front line. that they'll be willing to humble themselves before you and to ask you for your strength, your wisdom, your power, a boldness that they don't have, Lord, to begin to tell others about you. Father, my desire is that each of us will have a divine appointment tomorrow. We'll encounter someone who asks us about Jesus and they'll be willing to step up for you and speak about the difference you've made in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, please stand as we sing the stand.